what I've seen in myself and again in others is we struggle to get back into running or a movement routine because we have this idea of what running looks like. And oftentimes it's sparked from comparison of who we used to be or comparison of the runner that we know. And you have to get really honest with yourself and redefine what running looks like. Life looks different after kids. Life looks different with each phase of having a child and how much they need you and rely on you. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode 38 of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of TheMotherRunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today we get to hear from Sarah Hayes, ahead of Mother's Day, a special Mother's Day episode about her movement to empower women to find joy in movement and realize their untapped potential when they show up for themselves. And Sarah and I are so aligned in our missions that I'm just like beyond excited to chat with her and share our conversation because I just feel like it'll empower a lot of people listening. She does an amazing job of talking about how to get to your why, the ripple effect of your why throughout your life, really how to have a healthy relationship with running. Sarah's super honest about how exercise kind of leaned over into an unhealthy space where she one day just realized that it was making hate herself and she vowed to stop hating herself and eventually she started this mission to help other women with what she calls mindful miles so some more about sarah she is the founder and head coach of mindful miles a women's movement and wellness company that prioritizes mindfulness habits personal development and intuitive movement Sarah and the team at Mindful Miles use their knowledge and experience to promote the importance of body image advocacy and movement for mental health. So we also talk about how to kind of walk that fine line between wanting to be healthy and start running and lose weight and get to like the real reasons as to why and making sure that your intentions are rooted in healthy and positive space. We will get to our conversation with Sarah after the short message from our sponsor. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. All right, Sarah, let's talk recording because we've been chit-chatting behind the scenes. So you were watching, we're recording this just as the top finishers of the Boston Marathon, the female finishers cross. So you watched it. Do you get emotional? I always find myself crying. I don't know why. Every time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I cry at the start. I cry at yes. the finish. I cry, especially if I see someone that has a family that's there cheering for them. The dogs, I cry at the dogs, like everything. <laughs> and I think it's because like the marathon and running in this sport just hits you at every fiber of your being, you know, as an athlete, as a human, as someone who has friends and loved ones that you care for. It's so special. It is so special. And I welcome the tears now. Before I used to be like, stop crying. Now I'm like, let it all out. 
<laughs> I'm really glad that I'm alone today so I could cry by myself because last time my kids were home from school and they were just, they, they were so annoyed. They were like, oh, and one of my friends is in the elite field. And so I seeing her start and everything, I just got like so emotional. I couldn't control myself. And they're like, mom, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't yeah. That's so it's sweet. Mine is still too young to notice, but my husband always laughs at me. He's just like, what? I don't get it. And I'm like, you don't have to. <laughs> well, you do a do beautiful job explaining it because I don't, I'm like, I don't understand. I don't, some of these women I've never even heard of, but I'm like, I'm so happy you're doing so well. And then when I find out they're a mother runner, I'm like, oh my goodness. Now I'm I'm going to go in a deep dive and learn everything about you. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> okay. But we didn't connect to talk about the Boston Marathon, even though we could talk about it for easily for an hour or more. I learned about you from like a couple years ago. I read an article about you in Runner's World and your Mindful Miles mission. And so I would love to start with your background of how this whole idea came about for Mindful Miles and what you're trying to do with it? Well, you hit me on a good day. As you already know, I'm emotional. So you are more than likely to get some tears from me. It's so funny. <laughs> Everybody in the Mindful Miles community, they know like at any given time on any given call, Sarah will likely be crying. <laughs> it may or may not make sense. <laughs> but yeah, you know, Mindful Miles started for me as it was a COVID hobby. I was working in tech at the time. I was fortunate enough to be working from home. And I was kind of coming off of a long cycle of being burnt out from running. I ran competitively in high school and in college. I ran D2 up here in New York, which is where I live now. And for me, running kind of just started as this thing that I fell into as a you know young child into my teenage years. And I quickly fell in love with how much of a team sport it is, you know, like you are there putting in your best effort, but you're there with your team to do what you can. Long story short, and we can get into this if you'd like, it evolved into a really disordered behavior of trying to manipulate myself because I am a natural people pleaser too, to run faster, to impress my coach, to prove to my friends and family that like, you know, whatever it is. And when I finally graduated college, I was really burnt out from the sport and I was heartbroken because this thing that I love so much and that has made me who I am and has given me the best moments of my life has also brought me to my knees and it's made me hate everything about myself. And I just looked at myself in the mirror one day and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't continually try to change myself. I can't hate my body. I just, I give up. In doing that, uh, and hitting rock bottom is the best thing that could ever happen for me because Mindful Miles years later eventually came about just out of curiosity and trying to find joy and movement again and trying to find connection because I know how special that bond can be when you find some people that you can really run with virtually or in person. And that's really where it all came about is understanding that this can be the best thing ever, but we have to go about it the right reasons. And sometimes we don't even know what that means. So giving each other support and guidance and community to say, regardless of if this is your first time lacing up, or if you've run many, many marathons and you've kind of lost yourself along the way, we all have one thing in common. And it's the feeling that you get from one of those runs that you completed that you didn't even think 
you know, that distance or that pace was possible. Wow. I am in awe of your honesty and self-awareness and how you were able, like that self-awareness is such a gift because I think what you struggled with to some degree, so many runners do, I would say, especially female runners, like running is supposed to be a tool that we use to feel good about ourselves, to empower ourselves. But it's also a space where we can easily measure up or not measure up or just be super competitive to ourselves with ourselves or with other people and feel like we just aren't enough or we should be different. And it can easily cross over into, like you said, hating everything about yourself or your body and being mad at your body and feeling like it's just not enough. And so I love that you were able to really tap into that. And now you're helping so many others kind of get back to like the core of why we began running in the first place or why a lot. And a lot of people start running not out of something positive. It's not like, oh, I, it was a beautiful day and I went for a run and I felt amazing. And so I, then I continued, it was like, oh, I hate the way I look in the mirror or I want to eat and not feel guilty. And that's why. I start running, which that can cross over into positive. It can start negative and turn positive and vice versa. So how did you happen upon this epiphany? And then how did you kind of then take it into the space that now you're connecting with other women, you're connecting them? Is it men too, or is it just women? It's just women. I do work with men on a one-on-one basis, but the community aspect is completely by women and for women. Yeah. So I would love to know more about like the genesis of the community and then what does it look like today? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um. So it. I think this is one of the coolest things about being you know an entrepreneur and a small business owner is that you get to iterate constantly. You get to listen to what your community is saying, but you also get to pay attention to like what your heart and your gut is saying too. And so when Mindful Miles started, it was just bare bones. I think I started with 5k training plans, like eight weeks or something like that. And I just, I got back from a run one day. I remember I was reading Dina Castor's book at the time. And such I was a good so book. Inspired. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good book. So good. I just felt so inspired, but I was also really, really missing that community aspect. And one thing that's always resonated with me my entire, I guess I should say running life is friends, friends, parents, like you name it, people I've always been known as the runner. And so people would come up to me and be like, I thought of you the other day, I ran a mile or I ran a 5k or I went for a 10 minute run, you know, whatever. And I saw that joy and that pride in their face. And before I could even react or respond, they quickly started backtracking it with the, but I'm not a runner. Oh, but it wasn't that fast. And it's just complete self-deprecation. And I always was so curious by that because it was I'm not here, especially then I wasn't a runner. I was like a a kid. And I was like, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not, you know, gonna call you out for your time or your distance, you know, and it's, it's so interesting, because we all do that to ourselves on such an unconscious level that you have no idea how mean you're being to yourself. And so I thought, what if we could create a community where others could feel this electric and this excitement that I've been able, I've been very lucky to feel from having that team environment. And so it started with, like I said, 5k training plans. And then the next iteration was like, you got to choose between a 5k and a 10k. And we just kind of kept upping, upping the distance each time because virtual races were everything people wanted to do then. 
And then it kind of got to the point where I was like, I'm not super passionate about writing training plans for people. I'm super passionate about helping people get to their why and really narrowing down on what that is and how it can, what the ripple effect behind that why can be into the rest of their lives. Because a lot of times we keep it siloed. We keep it so black and white, our running, our lifting, our exercising, and then the rest of our lives where it has to be both. You know, we're not, nobody, nobody that I've worked with, probably nobody that's listening to this podcast, but I could be very wrong here, is getting paid to run. And so if you have to show up in other areas of your lives, and even if you are getting paid to run, you still have to show up in other areas of your lives. You're a spouse, perhaps, you are a friend, you might have a job, you might have pets, whatever it is, you cannot only ever be just a runner. And so that's kind of where we evolved to, can we talk about and learn to weave movement and running into our lives on a more intuitive, mindful basis so that we can tap into ourselves and say like, okay, Sarah wrote the training plan for me and it says to do this today, but I didn't sleep well. I'm stressed out, like whatever that is, how do I take that control back and say, Sarah's here as my coach, but I am the CEO of my life, and this is what I'm going to do instead, and I'm going to feel empowered about it rather than, oh, I'm going to disappoint my coach. That's so awesome because, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I I encounter a lot of women who they become daunted by what they put in front of themselves. Like, I write the training plan as a coach. I started coaching mother runners because I understand how unpredictable life is as a mom. And I wanted to be the coach that understands, okay, hey, your kid was up all night. No, you cannot do your tempo run at 5 a.m. We need to come up with a different plan, you know? And they often like, but you come up with a training plan and they feel daunted by what's in front of them. And they feel like a failure if they don't do what's on paper. And so, you know, trying to reframe it as just doing the best you can or just getting outside and moving for 20 minutes or whatever you can do is it's not a failure, it's a win. But it's really hard to kind of, I don't know how to say it, like recut those neural pathways into believing that, you know, how do you work with your athletes so that they aren't so like so much a slave to the training schedule at first it really depends on what your background is so do you come from a competitive background were you in not just running were you in team sports where you know what does that look like are you a hobby runner are you someone who started with couch to 5k like what does this all look like because that approach varies based off of what your current beliefs limiting beliefs and thought processes are But for the most part, like I think blanket statement is you have to have blind faith. And that's why it's so important to choose a coach that like right off of that bat, you have that gut feeling and you're like, Whitney's awesome. I trust her. We're going to do this together because on the days when I am doubting myself and I'm, let's be honest, doubting her because sometimes we do that with her coaches and our training plans. I'm going to return to that blind faith because I know when we first met, when we first talked, that feeling that I had when we were talking. And it's really just asking yourself to be mindful of these rules that we have in our head. Sometimes it's very conscious and we say, oh, runs don't count if it's, I don't know, under three miles. Or, you know, there are unconscious rules that with the help of your coach, you kind of get to pull up and... The fun but also hard part is, is once we know what those rules are, 
we're going to go in exposure therapy, we're going to challenge them. And we're going to say, okay, you didn't have time for that run today. But you went on a 20 minute walk with the stroller with your kids, whatever. And, and that counts. And it's something that I always like to preach about zooming out. So if someone comes to me and they say, I want to run a marathon, or I want to train for a first 5k, or I just had a baby, and I want to get back into it. Like, that's great. And I'm so happy that you're excited about that. But I want you running for the rest of your life. So you need to understand that if we work together, I'm going to be looking at the big picture. And this goal is just going to be a stepping stone along the way for you. And I think like deep down, that's how we all want to feel about running, right? Like, I don't, I'm not training for a marathon when I'm 70 right now. That's not top of mind, but I would like to be able to lace up when I'm 70 and be happy about it and not feel like I am in pain or doing it to control my body or or anything like that. I love that. And I absolutely love what you said about the ripple effect of the why, because it's so true. If you are truly connected to your why when you run and you go out and you come back in and it makes you feel good. And then you just feel like you can conquer anything else for the rest of the day. It truly is a ripple effect. It is, you feel confident in your body and your mind, you are strong mentally and physically, and then you take that and you believe in yourself and whatever you have in front of you for the rest of the day. Can you talk more about what that truly looks like, how you are able to, like you said, weave the power and the feeling and just accomplishment of running into our daily lives. Cause like you said, we're not just a runner. We are a million other things. So how do you weave those all together for your athletes? Yeah, I think it's about understanding like, and this is for myself and for the women that I work with is not only like, what does your life look like right now in terms of occupational stress, commutes, like where you live, what are the seasons like? But what are you interested in? What are your hobbies? For example, we have someone that just joined the team and she volunteers at a local pet shelter, I think two or three times a week. That's really important for me to know because that means two or three times a week, she is on her feet chasing puppies for an hour, getting that dopamine hit, but also getting exercise in. We always, we fail to recognize that like these things are also exercise. And also, if I see that she's stopped volunteering at the shelter, she's not going as much, that's a cue to me as a coach to say, hey, what's going on? Are you busy? Are you stressed? Are you burnt out? Why are the puppies not important? Because I know they were important to you at one point. So I think it's really understanding what your lifestyle looks like. And you're going to have to repeat the question for me because I already lost it. <laughs> and, uh, thinking about puppies, I was like, wait, what was the question? <laughs> well, I think it's, yeah, I was asking about like how you weave like the positives of running into your life. But then also like, as I think you were getting to is making sure that all of it is balanced as well. Yeah. So, and weaving running into your life is so important because that feeling that you get when you are just showing up for yourself, when it's raining out, when it's whatever that's an indescribable feeling that reminds you, I didn't, Whitney didn't go on the run for me today. Sarah didn't go on the run for me today. I went on the run for me today. I showed up and I did this in my best interest. So if I am capable of putting myself first, that feeling I can hold on to and I can bring into the rest of the day. And I know we have a lot of, you have a lot of mothers that listen to this podcast. I am a mother of one. He is one and a half and I'm about to have a second in June. So I'm a pretty new mom, but I am very familiar with that 
oh, he woke up in the middle of the night. I should, I should skip my run. Or, oh, you know, as I'm walking out the door, he's getting fussy. So I, I should just stay. And it's that constant thought of like, I need to put them first. I need to, and it's not even that. It's just like, it's so easy for me to let go of my own self-care, my own basic needs, because I can hop into another role. What running teaches me is to be selfish and to put myself first because I come back from that run. Maybe it was supposed to be a long run and I had to cut it short, but I still come back from it feeling fulfilled and I'm able to show up for my son, my husband, my community, whatever it is, in a way that is empowering rather than that disempowering feeling, which we've all been in before where you're just so mad at everyone in the world because you're like, I didn't even have time for myself today. When am I ever going to have time for myself? Through running, you learn to put that time in for yourself. I don't always advocate for racing. Like I personally am not someone who loves to race. Like I, I consider myself a runner that like will dabble in races, but sometimes it's really great to pick a race because it forces you to focus to put yourself first and focus on that training. Because if you want to be able to cross the finish line, there is some level of training that has to go into it. Rather than if you're just kind of a, an occasional fun runner, hobby runner, it's harder for you to have those boundaries with yourself and say, and again, there's that fine line between it becoming disordered and not, but to say, okay, this isn't what I thought it would look like, but I'm going to promise myself time. And we call it the 10 minute rule. You probably have something very similar where if I don't want to do this today, I can guarantee or I can promise myself 10 minutes of a walk, of a run, of whatever, uninterrupted me time so that I can recharge and move on with whatever I have to. You're so right in that, like, as you were talking, I was thinking running is a great way to fight resentment. Like, so many moms in particular don't run because they're weighed down by mom guilt because they don't want to inconvenience other people or they think that their kids aren't going to be okay if they're gone for an hour and really and truly they will be okay and they will eventually get used to you leaving for an hour and realizing that you know they're safe and they're fine and they have other people to take care of them but yeah you're right like each time that you choose not to go because you put other people's needs in front of yours you're just brewing that resentment and then you're just going to be like a very unhappy, disgruntled family member to be around, honestly. <laughs> and it's so interesting. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but like really in doing some examining of my own patterns is my husband's capable of taking care of the kids. My like whatever your support system is, you are needed, but you are not that needed. It's this element of control of like needing to be needed of if he doesn't, you know, go down to sleep this exact way, like, you know, because we have our own ways and we want it done that way. And so you have to learn to release that control and understand that even if it isn't perfect or the way you would do it doesn't mean that it's, it's not the only way that can be done. And I think too, a lot of times, what I've seen in myself and again in others is we struggle to get back into running or a movement routine because we have this idea of what running looks like. And oftentimes it's sparked from comparison of who we used to be or comparison of the runner that we know. And you have to get really honest with yourself and redefine what running looks like. Life looks different after kids. Life looks different with each phase of having a child and how much they need you and rely on you. But we fail to recognize that running 
and our relationship to it should also be changing with these different seasons and phases and saying, I don't have it in me to train for a marathon, nor am I interested in that. But that doesn't mean, and again, this is another buzzword that I'm sure you hear a lot too, is it doesn't mean it has to be all or nothing. Like, why do we have the all or nothing mindset? If I can't run the way running has historically looked like to me, then I'm not going to do it at all, even though I know it's good for me. Okay, can you go on a 10 minute walk every day and just see what happens? Because think about that. Let's do it for a week. That compounds, that's a little over an hour out of your entire week that you've dedicated to yourself. So if it was all for nothing and you got nothing valuable out of it, that's fine. It's only an hour that you lost. And that hour is probably an hour you would have spent scrolling anyways. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's the law of inertia, really. It's like if you can get that momentum going, chances are much better that you're going to keep keep going, kind of break that seal. And yeah, I think so many of us adopt that all or nothing mindset and let that stop us. I think a lot of people potentially probably like you who were burnt out from exercising really struggle with that. So do you have tips for people like that who just, they either think like, gosh, I'll never get back to how I was, or they are afraid to get back to how they were? Oh, yes. So for the person that says, I'll never get back to how I was, I want you to ask yourself why you want to get back there. And I want you to think about what your life looks like when you were that person and how it's different now. So I'll take myself as an example. During the pandemic, like many people, I had tons of time on my hands. So I was running and I was skirting that over-exercise line. I was going fast. I was going far. I was having so much fun. And sometimes in my, you know, Instagram reminders and featured photos and all those things, memories from that will get popped up. And it'll be, you know, photos of myself in a fitter body. It'll be times, it'll be distances. And I sit with that version of myself for a minute and I let myself mourn. I say, I do, I do miss being able to go that fast because it was fun to rip. But for me to be that person again right now would suck all of the joy out of my life because I would have to give so much more to movement, recovery, strength training, all of these things. I wouldn't be present with Mindful Miles and my family, which are the two most important things to me right now, the way that I want to. And so it's this thought of the grass is always greener and oh, I just want to be fast like I used to. But I am not the same person that I used to be. And so by trying to get back to her, I'm missing out on the beauty of the person that I could be and all of the different dynamic layers of color that could come to my life. For the person that is afraid to get back to who she used to be, because I also identify as that person, <laughs> I think it's tough because I have, I've only run two marathons. I've ran Berlin and Chicago, but I quickly fell in love with the distance. And it's one of those things that I... Before every training cycle, I think about how intense I want to be. Do I want to give it my all to see my you know, true potential? Or do I want to have fun with it and just show up to the race day, you know, fit enough to, to get it over with? 
get it over with. What a negative way to say that. <laughs> the distance, but I just want to get it over with. But I mean, really, that's how it is, right? I mean, yeah, uh, right, right. We want it when we're done, not during. I love the training for it. Same. The day itself, I'm like, ah, like I'll cry because it's so emotional, but I'm like, let's just do I this. Know. I know. I had a marathon last weekend, and at the end, I told my husband, I was like, I mean, let's be honest, it's really boring. Running a marathon is like really <laughs> boring, but I can't wait to do it again. Already, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I can talk my coach into letting me do grandmas. But anyway, it's very much like giving birth, is it not? <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Like, you're like, never again, but also 20 more times, but also how soon and how much time do I need to rest? Yeah. Sorry. Anyways, but we digress. <laughs> so, so for that woman, that's like, I miss the days of being competitive and towing the line and just putting my heart and soul out there. I totally get that feeling because there is so much light and darkness that comes with it. Like we talked about that feeling and how the ripple effect goes over into the rest of your life when you're just like, I just freaking killed this workout, this pace. I went out in the rain, like whatever it is. That's incredible. But then sometimes we push it too far where we're like, okay, I hit the paces I needed to. And I ran my cool down. I did everything my coach or my training plan said to, but I'm exhausted. And then cue those same feelings of resent. And I don't want to show up at work. I don't want to do, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's really understanding, okay, if you want to get back to that person you were, can we identify what her healthy and unhealthy behaviors were? And how do we want it to look different this time around? And what it really getting down to like, what does it mean for you to get back to that? Is it time? Is it a feeling? Is it you know, what is that specifically? And is it something that's reasonable? Because we start with these surface level goals and ideas, because it sounds nice. And we see it in magazines, and we see other people doing it. But will it actually bring us joy and is it actually reasonable and realistic for our lives? That's awesome. Yeah. And pull, like looking, okay, how can we fit it in and how can we make sure that you're checking all the boxes so that you're staying healthy and able to be present with your family? And it is so important to realize that, yeah, there are different seasons of running. Like even the pros have that. I mean, even the pros, you know, take steps, step back for a couple of years, just because, you know, it's, it can be intense. You can't be in tip top marathon shape, marathon training. It's forever. I mean, it's unsustainable, whether it, unsustainable mentally, physically, but even just like within your life growth. Cause I mean, let's be honest, like if you are marathon training, you are probably making a lot of sacrifices unless you're doing sort of like the bare minimum. And so a lot of other parts of your life may be put on hold or in arrested development. Yeah. So that's, I love how you approach that. How are you able to help people who get into running because they, they're wanting, I mean, they want to lose weight and that's like their main avenue for running is cause it's, it's like, okay, yes, it's great. You want to be healthier, but that can be super, super tricky, especially starting a running habit and cutting calories often don't go hand in hand. And I wish this was like a live podcast. So we could be like, how many people started running to lose weight? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's really common, you know, and so I'm someone that that firmly like I don't ever promote or believe in weight loss. I have no problem with you wanting to lose weight if you need to. But 
the key word there is need and what does that mean and how do we define that and so for I don't really see it as much with my current athletes because they know that, that that I'm not really into that and we are you know the community is a lot of diet culture dropouts or hopefuls that want to be able to shift that way of thinking but I see it in the running community as a whole and I see it you know in, in a lot of sales calls or consults coaching consults that we'll do together and first of all I, I think it's I actually want to commend the person that says I want to start running to lose weight because they're able to be honest with themselves and say that this is my why. Yeah. As I, I think I mentioned to you earlier, it's not usually our whys are very surface level and we don't understand the meaning behind them. And so if someone came to me and said, I want to lose weight, I wouldn't be like, oh my God, that's the worst possible thing you could do. You know, like <laughs> we're not here to bash people. Like shaming. <laughs> Right. Like, I'm not going to shame you for what you believe. And if we're not a good fit, that's great. Like, I want you to find someone that is a good fit for you. But for me, it's why. Because, you know, I have health concerns. There's a history of obesity in my family. There's a, you know, you name it. And it's usually something that was recently a news segment on Good Morning America. And (laughs) Don GMA. (laughs) (laughs) My husband calls it QVC. He's like, anytime that show's on, they're selling something. I'm like, that's all TV. (laughs) But if you come to me and you're like, I want to lose weight. I will ask you those sometimes hard, uncomfortable questions of why. And a lot of times it boils down to, well, when I was in a thinner body, I got more attention. I liked the way I looked. People praised me more. I've never seen a runner in my body. I can't find clothes that are my size that are actually cute or affordable or, you know, and it comes down to more often than not, these societal beliefs and the way that we were raised to look at runners. And that is like, let's just call it out. That is you and me. That is a thin white woman. And if I want to, you know, be accepted, then I also want to be a thin white woman. And luckily, you know, we're doing things to kind of fight that narrative and to push back and to realize our own unconscious biases. But those conversations are usually the most emotional because it's not, I want to lose weight. It's, I just want to feel like I belong somewhere. I just want to be accepted. I just want to feel proud of myself. And the only way I've ever been taught to be proud of myself is through a before and after photo. And so it's doing that work to identify where all of this stuff is coming from. Sometimes it's, you know, sister, a mom, the way we grew up, a shaming coach at one point, whatever that is, and fight that narrative and just say, hey, listen, if your body, and this is my firm belief, if your body has weight to lose, it's going to do so on its own. It's going to find its own natural healthy weight. So can we trust that your body will take care of that and just say, all right, body, you go do your thing. And we'll redefine what healthy means, because how am I supposed to know what a healthy weight is? I don't know. Like, how do you know? It's just something that a doctor told us once or, you know, a number that we used to be at. So if we can get away from that and really redefine what other health metrics look like for us, being able to go up the stairs without getting winded, being able to find a spot in the grocery store that's not near the front and not getting pissed about it because I can walk there while holding my kid, being able to go for a run without stopping for 10 minutes, whatever it is that actually brings you joy to say, wow, I did that. Let's focus on getting there. 
and and just you know we'll chase the feeling and we will let your body say this is where our comfortable weight is amazing yeah it's more it's again sh- shifting the focus to like what can your body do and away from like deprivation and away from what does it look like and what does it look like compared to other people's bodies and it's hard it is it's so hard it's especially in instagram culture really and Instagram culture, and even like, again, like bringing it back to my personal experience as a mother runner, as a postpartum runner, like, I had an agreement with myself very similar to the one that, you know, I mentioned earlier, when I said, I'm not going to hate you anymore, was, I revisited that conversation. And I said, listen, things are going to look a little bit different postpartum. And, you know, your weight's going to shift, your body's going to look a little bit different. We are not going to restrict We're not going to do anything to get back into a thinner body because it makes you feel good. We're going to identify why being in a thinner body makes you feel good. And we're going to continue to do things that are healthy for you, that are healthy for the baby. And again, trust that your body knows what it's doing. And it's that same blind faith of like, God, this is so uncomfortable. And I'm seeing all these other women that just like bounce back into their body and they're going like so fast and they're going so far. And, you know, of course we want that fairy tale for ourselves, but we also don't actually know what they're going through. Oh, that is so true. And it it does, I mean, in pretty much like, every lesson and path in running and probably life all kind of comes converges onto like, you just got to trust, trust your body, trust the process, have patience and just believe, like believe in yourself and believe that it will happen for you. And yeah. And I think anybody that has been, had an unhealthy relationship or kind of been in a dark place with the relationship between food or exercise or body image, whatever, if you've come out of that, like you are so careful and aware to not ever go back there, like never deprive, you know, it's all because you know that you know what your body needs and you need to trust your body. And like, especially if you're recovering from having a baby or for me, most recently, you know, I had a, a spate of injuries and like, yes, I was gaining weight, but I also did not deprive myself because I knew that my body needed those nutrients in order to heal the injuries. And so I think, yeah, I think that's a wonderful lesson for everyone in like any spot that they're in. It's so funny. I just said never again. I was just thinking like the Lion King, like you must never return. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. And I think so. I recently read Lauren Fleshman's book, Good for a Girl. And I wish I had it in front of me to directly quote it. But one thing, I think the most important thing that resonated with me from that entire book was she was recalling a moment with her high school coach, I believe when she was in college or perhaps when she had um, transitioned to becoming a professional runner. And she had shared a concern with him that, you know, all of these girls are getting thinner and faster and maybe it's an eating disorder, maybe it's not. But all I can tell you is I'm seeing smaller bodies and faster times. And he said something along the lines of like, there are no shortcuts. Like, it's going to catch up to you eventually. So you can get that that quick reward now and pay for it for the rest of your life, or you can stay the course and you can just trust and have that blind faith if that's what it needs to be and understand that it's going to catch up to you. And it resonated for me because when I was in the thick of my you know disordered eating and exercise habits, all I could think about was that immediate gratification, that you know mirror checking, that upcoming race, that how do I look? What's the number on the scale? What are the t- calories? Whatever. 
I never thought about the fact that what is this doing to my hormones? How's my metabolism? Are my bones okay? I never thought that. And that's something that I, anytime I'm tempted to go back to that life of, I know I want ice cream, but maybe I shouldn't. I say, what's going to bring you more joy right now? Having the ice cream or restricting and then being sad about it and thinking about food nonstop because that is, it's so sad. Like we shouldn't be in a life where we're constantly thinking and evaluating our relationships with food. Yeah. We don't, there's enough conflicts. We don't, <laughs> we need to get the conflict out of our heads. And yeah. And in Lauren's book, it, I mean, it's, it was eerie because she talked about those, so many of those girls who, who were losing weight and running fast and then they just disappeared. They had their times, you know, a couple, a year or two, and then they all injured, got injured, and you never heard from them again. And I'm reading Kara Goucher's book now, and she also talked, you know, she struggled with every, pretty much all of them did at some point because it's so prevalent. And, you know, and she struggled and she talked about how, yeah, it was that immediate gratification and that, you know, runners, because we are so like, into the numbers. She called it the numerology of it. Like it was, it just kind of fed like those deep innate instincts that many runners have of like getting that thrill from the numbers of the fast times, but also like on the scale or, and it just, she said it brought out the worst in her. And thankfully she, you know, didn't, didn't struggle with it for too long, but it really reminds you that like addiction is real. It's not just drugs and alcohol. Like we all want that quick hit and we all have our vices and sometimes it's running, sometimes it's food and understanding like if you're in a place where you're feeling that like that rush of like, God, this feels so good. This feels so rewarding. But then very quickly after you're like more, 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 how can I be better? How can I get more? Yeah. Then that's probably a time for you to reevaluate your relationship with whatever said vice is. So true. Even like, as I said, I'm like, oh, I'm ready to run another marathon. Like it's, I mean, even that it's like, but I know that that's not the best thing for me. So I'm going to, you know, I took my week off and I will slowly build back up and yeah, like, okay, wanting that quick hit and that high, but knowing what's best for you in the long run. I'd love to talk about data. Well, actually there are two more things I want to talk about with you now that we're talking about numbers. How do you deal with data? Because data is meant to be your friend, but let's be honest, often it is our enemy. And I've talked a lot on this show about running without a watch and the benefits of that. How do you handle data and how do you handle data with the people that you coach? Oh, man. <laughs> I, it's so funny because I feel like everybody says data, but I say data. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a New York thing. I don't know. I blame, no, I think I blame it. I, I did it. Lived in England for a bit and I think I there's like a couple of words that they say differently than Americans say that I held on to anyways. So you have to say it with a British accent for the next five minutes. (laughs) I will not do that, but (laughs) you know, data is such an interesting topic because I love it because it brings in that element of control of this was my sleep score. And if I can optimize the sleep, then I can optimize the recovery, which means the run will be better. And if the run is better and, you know, all of these things and my cadence was this and, you know, my heart rate was that and blah, blah, blah. Data can be great for a lot of people. It's not always great for folks that 
come from disordered backgrounds. For folks that kind of cross that line between, I love this, but I'm also letting it start to consume me a bit. For me, it was learning to be really honest about what the data meant to me. And it was less like, this is such an empowering feeling because it can be. But if your watch tells you you're unproductive or your heart rate was high, even though you ran really slow, that feeling can quickly get shifted to, wow, I'm not good enough or what am I doing wrong or, you know, and so it kind of spirals into that level of control again. So I believe in using your watch or using whatever data metrics you like to in small doses. So I am much more on the intuitive mindful scale of running. So I bring out my watch when I'm training for something specific. So I brought it out when I was training for Chicago and have not put it on since October. I think maybe once or twice just to like see how it felt. And, you know, I know that that's the right thing for me because those first couple of weeks after the marathon, when I would go without my watch, I felt so anxious. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, what if I run too fast? What if my heart rate's too high? What if this? What if that? And I had to call myself out and be like, you sweet, silly girl. Like, (laughs) if you're going too fast, you will know. If your heart rate's too high, you will know. Like, like your watch isn't the boss of you, but we let it be so easily. Oh, yeah. Oh, and so for me, it's data's great, but the way you're feeling and the way the any symptoms that your body is presenting that's also data and we can learn to work with that and so if you're having a great run one day and you finish and you look at your watch and it is faster or slower than you expected can you just be curious like it doesn't have to mean anything it can just say like okay cool so fast today felt like whatever pace that is slow today felt like whatever pace that is and let it be and just you know move on and say I enjoyed this run I acknowledge that I thought I was going faster than I did that's okay it's done I enjoyed it we're gonna move on we're not gonna think about this anymore beautiful approach you put these things that so many people okay me um, like struggle with so simply like here's your simple solution well that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> well, it comes from years of like really really worrying about it <laughs> yeah I mean oh my gosh people just get so mired in the data and it's like just run just run and enjoy it I mean that's what it's there for that's why we why we do it okay so do you practice mindfulness when you are running I mean do you listen to music or like where did mindful miles come from and is it is it rooted in mindfulness and like meditation practices and all that? Yeah, it's very much so. It's rooted in mindfulness, but what mindfulness means to you. And so just like, you know, running, we all have our own definition of it. And so it's not for me to say, hey, Whitney, these are the three core principles of mindfulness. And like, you need to do all of these to unlock, you know, being a mindful runner. Like, it's not that at all. <laughs> it's um, the three core pillars of mindful miles, excuse me, is intuitive movement, personal development, and mindfulness habits. I think if we can get really curious and interested in those things, then we are able to kind of detach from those metrics and the data and let ourselves be our own healthy, happy runner or mover, whatever that looks like for you. Because this is a running podcast, I say runner. But It's really like you asked about music. I historically don't like running with music. When I, I use it in doses and I view music like I view gels. Like when that caffeine gel hits, 
oh man, it is good. But if I only ever fueled off of caffeine gels and I did a caffeine gel every 10 minutes, I would probably be in a world of hurt. And so for me, music is wonderful if I need to get out of my head and I just need to focus on a pace or stop overthinking. But for the most part, we are so disconnected with our bodies and music perpetuates that. And so learning to be uncomfortable with no podcast, unless you're listening to this podcast while running right now, right. hello, exactly. it's fine, we'll work on it later. <laughs> <laughs> no podcast, no, I, I call people on the phone sometimes when I'm running, it's another weird thing. Um, no phone calls, no music, all of those things. And learn to just sit with that discomfort. It won't last forever. And you do, you unlock this level of mindfulness and self-awareness and comfortability with yourself where you're not constantly trying to get distracted and you're not constantly looking for the next dopamine hit. Because if you think about it, how often are we truly alone with ourselves? In the shower, we're usually usually listening to something and then we go to work. And then if we're you know on the train or the car, we're, we're always looking for something to ingest, to consume, to distract us. So if we can get comfortable just sitting and just being, you know, not everybody in the Mindful Miles family is like this. They're like, Sarah, I will never give up music. And I'm like, that's fine. We'll continue to work on it. But I'd be in that camp. I don't always listen to music, <laughs> yeah. but I mostly do. <laughs> Right. I and I think that's fine. And it's just a level of knowing like what's most important to you. Some people you're like, I listen to my annoying boss all day, or I listen to kids music all day. And this is like the one time I can like listen to curse words and just love it. Like, <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Again, different seasons for everyone. And it's understanding what you need at the moment. Sometimes it is a great playlist. But I think for the most part, it's like, can I be comfortable just with myself? And if you're hearing that, and that thought is like, no, that's, I don't like that, then commit to at least one run a week or 10 minutes of each run, no music, nothing, a week, a month, whatever, and see if anything changes. What kind of, like, what kind of changes? A thought process. You'll find that, you know, what one of my favorite exercises when I am out on a run, and it could be anywhere, actually, is practicing the five senses drill. And so it's really focusing on each sense one at a time. Okay, what colors do I see? And really like, okay, I'm looking out my window right now. I see green. It's a gray day here. So I see some grays. I see some whites. And focusing so laser on that that you can't hear anything. You can't feel anything. Like, And then once that kind of gets away from you and you're like, I'm over this, switching to the next thing. Okay, the whole world is black and white. What do I hear? I hear my feet striking, I hear my heart pounding, my breath, I feel some people behind me, maybe some cars in the distance, whatever that looks like. And it really teaches you to practice just slowing down and being where your feet are. We're not trying to get to the end of this run. We're not thinking about what we're going to cook for dinner once we get home. We're not overanalyzing a conversation that we had this morning. We're just here with ourselves in this moment. And that's the only thing you have to do is just be here. And sometimes it's really uncomfortable. And that's usually when we need it the most. And so this is one of the main things that you promote with the people that you work with. Yeah, I think just, again, like learning to slow down, learning to be with yourself, learning to understand like what thoughts are coming up when you're running, if any thoughts at all, and rewiring those thoughts if they need to, rewiring those beliefs. Because a lot of times, like 
when we are running, we're in that flow state. So to be able to go through this practice when we're kind of like cracked open like a glow stick is really powerful because we're able to get so much more done than we would if we were just, you know, sitting at a desk doing a journal prompt. And so being able to do this again, like this goes back to like the weaving, the why through the rest of your life, but it also just makes like your running practice more rich instead of like, oh, it's just an escape or a break from like my responsibility for the day. And it's a way to move my body. Like it really is like rejuvenating for the mind as well. Absolutely. I mean, I came up with the idea that is mindful miles on a run one day. And it was because honestly, I think I was practicing the five senses drill. And I was like, this doesn't feel good. I'm not interested in doing these five senses. I actually am not interested in running. So I just started walking. And I got really curious about like, why am I so annoyed right now? Like, what am I missing? And it was like, I miss community. Well, why do I miss community? What does that mean for me? And again, coming back to that curiosity and asking why, why, why. And I said, this is something that I'm craving. I'm so sick of feeling alone in this sport. I'm so sick of, you know, not having other adult women friends. Like it's so hard to make friends as an adult. Like what am I missing here? And then I thought, okay, well, why don't I just create that community and see if anyone wants to be a part of it? And that's where it came from. If I was listening to, I don't know why T-Pain just came into my head because I don't listen to T-Pain. <laughs> but if I was listening to T-Pain... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't think Mindful Miles would be here today. Maybe, but it might be like a completely different approach. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is the most random <laughs> reference. I'm like, what even is, what is T-Pain the I'm in love with a stripper? I is that him? I think so. <laughs> I feel like he was always a guest rapper on any of the songs that I listened to in college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a Fleetwood Mac gal, so T-Pain is a real... <laughs> that was a real reach for you. <laughs> you know, if you were listening to Fleetwood Mac, I feel like maybe you could have arrived at this idea. But T-Pain, you know, probably not. <laughs> I don't know. He might be listening. He might be really into the Passionate Runner podcast. So if so... We're sorry, T-Pain. We are sure you have inspired so many wonderful ideas. He's a mindful dude, for sure. Gosh, now I'm going to go down the rabbit hole of uh, T-Pain. You know, I'm going to be Googling all the Boston Marathon top finishers and T-Pain. Yeah, Thank be on the lookout. Yeah. Our next playlist. Yeah. And our next podcast. We're just going to talk for an hour about <laughs> T-Pain and his love for strippers. What he's up to today, because I'm sure you don't know either. <laughs> Okay. And on that note, (laughs) is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about? Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of things that I could talk about (laughs) for a very long time. Clearly my musical interests are one of them that's top of mind, but no, I think this was a great conversation and I had such a, a great time chatting with you and being a part of your community and, and seeing everything that you've built and the inspiration that you give other women. It's such a joy for me to be able to contribute in any any bit. Well, I love what you're doing and I'm so glad we were able to connect. And I do think it's really important to mention that he was featured in Low by Flo Rida. <laughs> 
and also Kiss Kiss by Chris Brown. Those are the two songs that I... See, this is Whitney at work. She is hosting a podcast. She is interviewing me. And she's also doing research on T-Pain in the background. I just feel like, you know, we could not end without knowing what his top hits were. But I, I don't... That's incredible. Yeah, he's usually featured on something. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> One thing I will happily share with you in your community is... Um, I, the Mindful Miles team releases a free podcast, audio guided walk or run every month. It's called Mindful Moments. And so if you are interested in tapping into a little bit more of that mindfulness approach, I don't have the link off the top of my head, but I'll share it with you. And you're more than happy to, to pop it in the show notes if you would like for your community to take advantage of. It's, it's totally free. But if you're wondering where is a good place to start, this might be it. Yes, I love that. We will include that in the show notes for sure. because. Yeah, I'm always looking. I mean, I love the Calm app and Headspace and I do enjoy those types of resources. So I'm looking forward to checking it out too. I think I signed up for it the other day, actually. So we'll include that in the show notes. So very cool. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear your feedback, right? As I just said, like, don't run with your headphones, but hey, if you want, (laughs) there's an audio guided run. (laughs) Just for part, you know, just for part of it, just for one of the runs. You know, I I have to understand I'm not, I'm like probably the 1%. And if someone is listening to this that doesn't run with headphones, please shoot me a message on Instagram because I'm, we need some strength in numbers over here. I feel like I'm the only one. (laughs) I try to like wave at people on the run. I'm like, hey, I'm a runner too. Nice to meet you. And they're like, headphones on for a reason. Stop. And now people are wearing them all the time, like just out. And that is a little disconcerting. But no, I am that person. I had somebody message me on Instagram who was like, hey, I shouted that I love you or my wife loves you. And I realized I probably weirded you out. And I was like, oh, (laughs) gosh, that's really bad that I didn't even hear you. And I didn't see this guy like waving at me. And (laughs) that probably it's probably for the best. That might have scared the crap out right. of me. Yeah, the man was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I do want to add that, like, if it's in the morning or something, I don't listen. But if you know, it's in broad daylight, I'm in my neighborhood running on a path, then it's safe. But yeah, anyways, another topic. But it's been a joy talking with you, and yeah, I'm, and I look forward to you know working more with you in the future because our missions align so well. I think so. This is only the beginning. I'm so excited. Yeah, that's right. All right, Sarah, thank you. (laughs) You bet. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you again, Sarah. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. You can find our full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any of the resources mentioned at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure you follow and subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from the episodes, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash the passionate runner. Talk to you next time.